All right, here we are, back again with the Didactic Mind podcast. This is Didactic Mind, episode uh, 49, coming up on the big 5-0, actually, um, which is not to say I've been podcasting for a year. It's actually slightly less than that. Uh, it's not, you know, two weeks from today won't be one year exactly, because obviously <clears throat> I skipped a couple of, I skipped one or two podcasting sessions. Um and I had it in a couple more, so yeah, actually it might be one year, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, this is, <clears throat> this is indeed episode 49, Have No Fear. Uh, very warm welcome, as always, to all of my uh, SoundCloud subscribers, all my loyal SoundCloud subscribers. Many thanks, uh, sincere thanks for your patronage and your time. I am greatly appreciative of the fact that you guys uh, take the time and effort to listen to what I have to say. And uh, a warm welcome, as always, very warm welcome to all of my readers from the blog, didacticmind.com. The blog looks a bit less like a warthog's backside right now, um, which is a bit of a pun if you know your Halo lore. Um, And it will, I hope, show rapid improvement over the next uh, few days and months. Excuse me while I get my standing desk routine set up and there goes something important i'm sure no it's just a pen okay um yeah boy i I miss my standing desk it's still in storage in the u.s but uh hopefully that will be changing soon too um and i may have some good news to report on that front uh over the coming uh months so we shall see it all depends on how a few uh few things pan out but uh Basically, the reason I wanted to make this podcast today was in light of uh, recent events, some of which I've been a part of and some of which I've simply observed from afar, um, concerning everybody's favorite or least favorite topic du jour, which is, of course, the Chinese mumps, uh, COVID-19. I have called it in very derogatory terms, the Kung Flu or uh, the CCP virus, which is much more accurate because this is indeed a virus, uh, as far as anyone can tell, that has been or was engineered. Uh, now, you're not going to hear that from the, the establishment media who all walk and talk in lockstep, but the genetic evidence, ignore whatever the mainstream media tells you, ignore what the CDC tells you, ignore what the WHO tells you. The genetic evidence shows, I think, fairly conclusively, that this is a chimeric virus, and um, that is a very, very terrifying possibility if you think about the implications. Uh, If it is indeed a chimeric virus, meaning that it was strung together from a bunch of different sources, then we should, in theory, be very, very afraid. But what I really wanted to talk about was the reactions that we've all had, or large parts of the world have had, to this virus and to the um, to, and the and the ensuing impacts upon all of us. Uh, before I go on, just a couple of usual housekeeping points. Um, as always, if you want to support my work, stop by superbshaving.com. I know I haven't updated the site in a long time. It's been a couple of months. I've just been very very busy. Uh, with various things, but uh, I have some, as it happens, time on my hands coming up and uh, will attempt to rectify that problem 
over the coming days. So there should be a few new articles coming up, uh, going up very soon. Uh, there will, I hope, also be some additional stuff uh, in terms of a couple of new websites that I've had under, you know, or I've been planning to add for some time now, starting with didacticstrength.com, uh, which is going to be my um, personal fitness and health website. And um, as I said, I think in a couple of podcasts ago, another site I'm planning to start up is all about traveling through Eastern Europe, specifically Russia, because I have a lot of experience doing that. And uh, I love being there. And um, I, I think very, very highly, extremely highly of the Russian people. Um, I genuinely love spending time in Russia, among Russians. It's not, it's not an easy place to be. But uh, the Russian people really make it worth it. Um, I, I really have a soft spot for them and for their culture. And um, I hope to be able to encourage others to go there uh, over the coming weeks and months and years. Because I think Russia is horribly misunderstood, especially by Americans and by Westerners in general. And deserves a much kinder and uh, more uh, impartial look than it has received over the you know, previous several years, certainly, what with the, um, the Russian collusion narrative that's been running rampant through the never-to-be-sufficiently-cursed uh, lying hornalists of the mainstream media class. Um, in case you're wondering, uh, yes, I do happen to think that most journalists who work for these big establishment organizations really do deserve to be lined up and tried for treason at this point. It's gotten that bad. Uh, if you're annoyed by all the pings in the background, don't worry, it's just somebody sending, sending me some messages. So that'll it'll, it'll even itself out over time. Um, in fact, uh, let me just close this application. That should get rid of it. Okay, so uh, have no fear. These are, these are words that we should be living by, especially in these times of great fear and great uncertainty. And why do I say that? Well, first, let's look at the news. Um, the news from earlier this week was absolutely horrible. Uh, the new, that news is that his most illustrious, noble, august, benevolent, and legendary celestial majesty, the God Emperor of Mankind, Donaldus Triumphus Magnus Astra, the first of his name, the Lion of Midnight, may the Lord bless him and preserve him, has caught the Chinese flu. Uh, and so has his wife. And for a while there, there were some very contradictory reports. I saw a Daily Mail report um, on Saturday basically saying that he had been taken to Walter Reed Hospital with uh, breathing problems. And uh, my heart really just sank when I saw that because this, is, this man is God's true servant on earth. Um, and I know a lot of people who hear that would be shocked because they'll be like, You've got to be joking. He's, he's a boorish, vain, egotistical, puffed up, stupid, um, ill-informed, ignorant, plus 150 other pejoratives that you could name, especially if you're, if you're of the left, um, moron who is running his country into the ground. Well, firstly, I have to respectfully disagree with that. I don't think he's running the country into the ground at all. I think he's under the circumstances, uh, especially considering what he inherited, has done an absolutely astonishing job. I never expected that I would live to see an American president 
do the kind of job that he has done in just four years. In 47 weeks, he's accomplished more, as he says, as he, as he said very rightly in that first presidential debate, um, he has accomplished more in 47, in 47 months than Joe Biden accomplished in 47 years in politics. And that is a staggering track record. Uh, I mean, it is, how do you quantify that? That is absolutely incredible what he's managed to do. He's, he's changed the tenor of the conversation in the USA and in the Western world in a way that we've never really seen before. We've never seen anything like this from an American politician before, not since the days of Ronald Reagan. And this man, for all of his enormous personal sacrifices and his immense efforts and his dedication to improving the lives of the American people, was struck down with a deadly disease, which is, is indeed deadly for people in his age group with his health problems uh, and his general body composition. Let's face facts. Donald Trump is a fat ass. Uh, I'm not saying that to be disrespectful to Trump. It's just that it's the truth of the matter. I mean, he is fat. And that's, that's something that counts against him in a fight against a viral, uh, virological agent that is genuinely dangerous to people who are over the age of 60 and who have pre-existing health conditions. It is dangerous to those people. I know my own parents are in that uh, risk category. They live in a country which is, even as I speak right now, undergoing a very, very severe crisis. Um, and they are, they are rightly worried, and as they should be worried, that they may well be exposed to something scary. Um, but here's the thing. Donald Trump is going to pull through this. I, I do think that. He is a fighter. He is a warrior. Um, he is known for his fighting spirit. That's what's managed to get him through the last four years of some of the most vicious and horrendous personal attacks that I've ever witnessed in, what, 12 years of observing American politics. I've never seen anything this bad, ever. I've never seen the political discourse this poisoned and this scary. Um, I've been predicting civil war uh, by 2033 for years, and I'm increasingly of the opinion that that is overly optimistic. I think we're going to see outright war and death in the USA <clears throat> probably by 2028, if not earlier than that. I mean, after Trump, what's going to happen? I mean, who's going to, who is going to come along and pick up the mantle of responsibility as, uh, as, you know, my fellow halo maniacs would say, uh, for the United States and for the Western world. There is nobody else. Unless a true MAGA-style candidate comes up again, it's not going to happen. But just because Donald Trump is sick does not mean that the rest of us should be afraid. It does not mean the rest of us should cower and submit to this very real bug that is actually nowhere near as dangerous as anyone thinks it is. Why do I say that? Because the latest CDC mortality figures have come out, and they've been out for some time, as a matter of fact. And what do they tell us? Well, they tell us that if you are under the age of about 50, 
your chances of dying of this bug are about 0.02 percent two in a thousand okay uh, uh sorry no not even two in a thousand excuse me i'm i can't count two in ten thousand 0.02 percent that's two in ten thousand one in five thousand people nobody here knows five thousand people personally no one no one listening to this podcast knows that many people directly and yet you can look around you I mean, if you're surrounded by 5,000 odd people, you can look at that. Uh, you can look around you and find, you know, all of those 5,000 people. Um, what are you going to say? That, you know, you can pick any one of them at random and that person is going to die. Um, and that, it isn't even that random either. Remember, anybody over the age of 50 is somewhat at risk. People under the age of 50, not so much. One in 5,000 may die from this. Um, and that is before you get to all of the other complicating factors, all of the issues about does that person have pre-existing conditions, does that person have trouble breathing, does that person have excess body weight, does that person have genetic predispositions, uh, so on and so forth. The latest evidence that we have shows that uh, adults who are around small children actually catch this virus at a much lower rate than adults who are not around small children, which is in fact, incidentally, one of the best arguments possible for reopening the schools as quickly as possible. It's simply not necessary to keep schools closed right now. There's no good reason for it. Why is this? Because the coronavirus itself, the the SARS-CoV-2 virus is, well, I mean, like I said, it's a coronavirus to state the blindingly obvious. Uh, Coronaviruses are uh, part of the family, the general family of virus structures, uh, virus types that cause the common cold. Well, the common cold is caused, among other things, by the rhinovirus and certain strains of coronavirus, certain types of coronavirus. So, you're, if you're around small children who are, in fact, let's face it, prone to catching colds, um, they will develop a certain amount of immunity to coronavirus-like organisms or coronavirus organisms in general, which means that their immune systems will be primed to deal with something resembling COVID. How does, I mean, not to go too deep into this, but how does your immune system work? How does, how does immunization work? How does a, a vaccine work? Um, to use an analogy coming out of John Ringo's The Lost Centurion, the way it works is Think of it in terms of uh, a police unit, okay? You're, that's, that's your immune system. That's your, those are your antibodies. They're, they're a, a unit, you know, a police force tasked with patrolling the streets, okay? Uh, you come along and you show this police force a picture of a bad guy. And you say, you see this guy, go beat him up. Go arrest him. Go throw him in jail. Um... If it's a really dangerous guy who won't be, you know, who's, who's actually a, a genuine threat to your neighborhood's health, you say, shoot on sight, okay? Your immune system then goes forth and it knows what to look for. And it finds that guy, be, jumps on him and beats him up, okay? Um, when you have a vaccine for a specific particular, you know, strain, uh, that will, your immune system will attack that particular strain. But if a new strain comes along, which has different characteristics, your immune system isn't prepared for that and will allow it to sneak by. 
um, kind of like the police will if they don't know what to look for, of course. Uh, now, suppose you give a police force um, explicit instructions saying, this is what a whole family of criminals looks like. This is what, you know, this whole group of, uh, this whole gang of, uh, of, of miscreants looks like. Well, now the police unit will know, okay, anything that looks like this general description, you know, this, they, they are roughly of this skin color, they're roughly of this height, they're roughly of this body type. Now it knows what to look for and, and goes and jumps on anybody fitting that description. Now this can work against you in a number of ways. This is dangerous uh, in, in some situations, but that's, you know, we're not, we're not facing issues with um, autoimmune disorders of any kind. So um, what we're actually looking at is a situation in which the uh, children who have developed, who have, who have caught common colds from coronavirus, uh, have passed those, uh, have, have built up resistance to coronavirus structures in general. They have passed those colds onto teachers who have developed immunities against them. And because of that, they are relatively more immune to COVID-19 in general. Again, look at the data. The, the, the CDC's latest data for this virus indicates that it is simply nowhere near dangerous enough to justify the measures that have been taken against it. Um, what we're looking at is, in fact, a virus that is, roughly speaking, uh, about as bad as a really bad influenza season for most people. For certain groups of people, it's much worse. The exact uh, data from the U.S. government as of um, probably two weeks ago, the, the mortality rate for people between 0 and 19 is 0.003%. So 99.997% of people will survive in that age bracket. 0.003% is what is three in a hundred thousand will die in, in those age groups. Three in a hundred thousand. That's, I mean, it's such a small, uh, small amount. You can't even really think of it properly. It, it doesn't make any sense to the human mind. Um, between 20 and 49, as I said, 99.98% of people who catch this between those age brackets will survive. Between 50 and 69, 99.5% of people who catch it will survive. So 0.5% will die. 0.5% uh, IFR, infection fatality rate. For people 70 plus, yeah, it's dangerous. But you still have a 94.6% chance of surviving overall, even if you're in that age bracket. 94.6% chance of survival. That's very, very high. That is vastly higher than most forms of cancer. That is vastly higher than a number of very, very nasty diseases that are, uh, that were fairly common until not very long ago. I mean, it's only in the last, you know, 50 or so years that we've become accustomed to a situation and a life in which the threat of deadly disease has been mostly held at bay. The reality is that you're more likely to see, you're much more likely to see people die of heart attacks and cancer than you are of coronavirus. So why are we all living in fear? Why are we all so terrified? Why are we all overreacting? What is the point here? What are we doing to ourselves? 
what we are doing to ourselves is astonishing. Um, I don't know how many of you had the uh, huh, the joy of traveling internationally or even domestically recently. Um, and I don't know how many of you are listening from Western or versus non-Western countries. For Western countries, I mean, I guess probably the worst that you're having to deal with is a mandatory face mask requirement on airlines. Okay, that's onerous, but it's not the worst. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience that there are countries in the world where if you do, if you take domestic flights, um, you not only have to wear a surgical mask, you also have to wear a full face shield. Not joking about that. It's a face shield. It's a, a plastic disposable thing um, that you, you know, put on your face and it drops down. It's a plastic cover. Uh, you look like a welder, basically, um, and or, or a surgeon, which is effectively kind of what you are. You're, you're dressed in surgical gear. You have to, um, if, you're, if you're sitting in the middle seat of a domestic airliner, you have to put on a disposable white surgical gown. And everything gets dumped into these big biohazard containment bins in the airport. Now, how effective is all of this at actually stopping the spread? I don't know. Judging by, if you look at the COVID numbers in India, for instance, not very. Because India uh, has just passed um, what they call one lakh deaths. Uh, for those of you who are used to counting in standard units, the, the Indian method of counting things makes no sense. Um, it's very, it's, it's, it's extremely difficult to read Indian newspapers unless you know the conversion units because they're always saying, uh, rupees one lakh something or rupees 10 crore something or 65 crore or 100, 150 crore. Very, very confusing. But one lakh equals 100,000. And one crore equals 10 million, right? Uh, again, why they would adopt that instead of just saying 100,000 or 6.5 million or, you know, 6.8 billion or whatever, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Nobody consulted with me um, when they came up with this numbering system. I grew up using a standard base 10 measurement system, not a base 10 to the fifth measuring system. It's, you know, I, I don't get it, but I don't pretend to get it. Okay. So, um, whatever, whatever high committee was in charge of all this stuff, uh, obviously was around long before I came onto this earth. And, uh, if I had my way, um, I'd abolish such things, but Hey, no, you know, it's not up to me. Um, so India right now is at, uh, let's take a look. In fact, let's get some hard numbers behind all of this. Uh, go to trustybing.com slash COVID. By the way, don't use Bing for anything else because it's a Microsoft search engine. God help us if uh, Microsoft gets in control of anything. But um, if you look at Bing's results, it will show you what the COVID statistics are for any country. And, oh, good Lord, this is really annoying. They're, they're presenting the, the statistics in strange ways in, uh, on, on their site. Um, I, okay. I think India is at uh, 6.6 .6 million cases, I guess. Um, I'm really having a hard time reading that number. But um, basically, if that's true, we're looking at 
6.6 million odd cases, th- confirmed cases throughout all of India. But that's not the whole story, and we know that's not the whole story looking at the rest of the world. We know that there are many, many, many more cases than that throughout the world because uh, anywhere from uh, anywhere from 5 to 20 times the number of people who are infected, um, who are confirmed as, you know, with a, an actual test as infected, have actually been infected because most people are completely asymptomatic. Uh, 80 plus percent of all cases are completely asymptomatic. You don't, like, they don't even notice that they're, they're, they're infected. They don't even realize that they're sick. Yeah, so, okay, here we go. Um, India has 6.6 million, uh, 6.6 million confirmed cases of COVID and 100,000 deaths. Now, here's the thing. There was a study done uh, not too long ago, maybe a couple months back, in which um, the team of scientists behind it did a statistical analysis and a simulation. They, they ran a simulation model. Now, I, have, I am deeply skeptical of models in general, statistical models in general. I know a few things about how statistical models work, and as always, garbage in, garbage out, and most statistical models are absolute garbage. So when immunologists and virologists come along, come along saying, we have this amazing model that predicts all of these things, I'm like, yeah, whatever, I mean, don't waste my time. I know what your models say, that it's, it's, it's nonsense, so you know, bugger off. I, I have no respect for your modeling. But this study was interesting because what it said was, they, if you look at the infection rates in one of Bombay's biggest slums, um, I think it was in... Uh, I think it was in Bandra, I forget. may have been Bandra, it may have been Andri, I forget um, exactly where it was. But it was one of Bombay's biggest slums, and they projected that there had already been over 5 million infections in that one slum alone. India is a country of 1.3-something billion people, almost 1.4 billion people. It's going to become the world's most populous nation if it is not already. If you took the total number of Indian fatalities at the time that the study was done and just dumped it into, like, if you just said across all of India, all the fatalities, and you'd taken that number and said, that's the number of people that died in this one slum, compared to the 5 million infections that they had in that slum, the mortality rate would have been tiny. So when India says we have 6.6 million infections and 102,000 deaths, which, you know, that's... uh, you can take issue with the number of deaths because in India there seems to be significant pressure to underreport the number of deaths, whereas in the U.S. and in other countries there seems to be a significant pressure to overreport the number of deaths. So you can't trust any of the numbers from anywhere. But even if you triple the number of deaths in India, and you say you know, just being wildly, wildly um, uh, uh, distrustful of the Indian government's numbers. What does that mean? Well, you have 102,324 deaths and you have 6.6 million uh, total confirmed cases. What does that equal? That is a total uh, infection fatality rate, or actually it's a CFR, a confirmed fatality, a case fatality rate of 1.55%. 1. 1.55%. You know, less than 2%. Again, confirmed fat- case fatality rate, not infection fatality rate. The total infection fatality rate is vastly lower than that. 
because if you multiply the number of cases by five, what happens? Because, you know, again, if assuming 80% of cases are asymptomatic, what do you get? You get a total fatality rate of 0.31%. 0.31%? I mean, seriously? We're freaking out over this? And, again, that's a multiplier of 5, which is actually pretty conservative. If you go by 20, uh, which is, seems to be the top end of the range, 0.08%. Again, why are we freaking out? We shouldn't be. This disease is not dangerous to the vast majority of people. It just isn't. That's the truth. This disease is not dangerous to the young. It is not dangerous to the healthy. Look at India's population. It's one of the youngest countries, if not the youngest country, in the world. Its population pyramid is very heavily skewed towards the young and the productive. Not necessarily particularly healthy because of India's well-known problems with nutrition and public infrastructure and healthcare and so on and so forth. But it's a young population. It doesn't need these kinds of incredibly restrictive measures. In fact, more people are certain to die because of the Indian government's insistence on shutting down the entire economy and putting tens, if not hundreds of millions of people out of work and destroying their livelihoods and their savings and everything that they hold dear, then are likely to die from the virus. And that's the story that's being repeated around the world. Why? Because we've allowed ourselves to succumb to fear. Why have we allowed ourselves to succumb to fear? Because, in all honesty, we have become afraid of death. We as humans are constantly seeking ways to lengthen our lives. We are trying at every point to make our lives more comfortable, more easy, less stressful, uh, less difficult. And that's a very admirable thing. I mean, it's, this, this is not a bad thing we're talking about. There is a classic video from Bill Whittle, uh, back when he was with uh, PJ Media, back when, you know, PJ Media had an actual uh, video production on. Uh, this was many, many years ago. I mean, we're talking 2008, I think I saw this video, maybe 2009, um, in which Bill was talking about uh, what would happen if a pharaoh, if an Egyptian pharaoh, was able to take a time machine and travel 40 centuries into the future uh, to about the year 2008 and was able to see how the poorest of the poor people in America live. The pharaoh would have, you know, at, back in that day and age, was the richest, most well-cared-for, most well-off, most secure person in the whole kingdom, in all of Egypt, which at the time was the greatest empire in the world, pretty much. I mean, some history buffs will argue with that, but okay, let's just take it as given. The pharaoh, I remember very clearly what Bill said about how this pharaoh would come to uh, a 7-Eleven, basically. You know, just some cheap convenience store. And he would be able to walk into that 7-Eleven, which is, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a shack compared to these vast pyramids which um, the Egyptians had built with slave labor uh, over the course of 20 years of hard effort and uh, in order to build these magnificent tombs for themselves. A little 7-Eleven, he walks in 
and he sees there's a little pill that he can take, and he 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 is used. He 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 lives with constant pain because his teeth are worn down by the coarse, rough, grit-filled bread that even a pharaoh cannot avoid eating, because the technology of the time only allows for. Uh, coarse, rough bread, because inevitably sand gets in and, and grit gets into the milling process, and no matter how hard the slaves and servants try, they will never get completely grit-free bread. But he can walk into a convenience store, the cheapest convenience store in the land, and he can buy bread that is easy to eat, that's fresh, it's made that day, and he can buy all the meat and all the vegetables that he wants from the nearby grocery store. And he can walk into a 7-Eleven and he can get a little pill, a little uh, pill, uh, a little gel tab of Advil or Panadol or whatever, and he can take that pill and the pain from his teeth will go away, like magic. That is the world we live in today. There's a great book, um, by, I think, Jeffrey Tucker uh, from the Mises Institute, uh, who, whose books I have read. I've read several of them. Uh, Breakfast with Bourbon and uh, It's a Jetson's World. And it's the second one that I'm talking about, but It's a Jetson's World. In which Mr. Tucker was talking about how... I think that's his name. Let me, you know what, let me go check this, because I don't want to misspeak about this. Um, I'm pretty sure it was him. Uh... But basically, the book was about the miracles of modern life and how much we take for granted, all of us take for granted, myself included, right? I mean, I'm talking into a, uh, a microphone uh, that is, you know, one one-hundredth of the size of the microphones that existed when my father was growing up um, and has a hundred times clearer signal. Uh, I am able to communicate with people on a device the size of my palm with anybody in the world. I remember the days when modems used to be dial-up. I, 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 I grew up during that era. I remember what it was like to have painfully slow and stupid and boring internet where, you know, the, the web pages that you would navigate to would have maybe one or two images and lots of links. It was just lots of text. Now you go on the internet and you look around, it's videos and and... and and sounds and clips and media that jumps out at you and banners that fly across the page and these these beautiful vibrant colors that you see in front of you it's a it's a visual treat to be out there you can you have access to all of the information that humanity has ever produced on a device the size of your hand and you have access to things uh that will get even smaller than that i mean there are sunglasses that you can buy these days, which are like smart sunglasses. You can actually download the information directly onto, uh, directly in front of your, your retinas. Uh, you can do it with a watch. You can look at information on your watch face. That's how astonishing things have become. That's the point we are at today. And yet, we seem to be profoundly ungrateful for what we have. We seem to have no concept or appreciation for these good things that we have. We are so consumed by fear of losing everything we have that 
we can't bear to put any of it at risk. I know what that's like. I, I know what it's like to be so consumed with not losing what you have. You're terrified to do anything. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying I'm a paragon of, of living fearlessly, because I'm not. Uh, anyone who thinks that uh, I am a model to follow in any respect is out of his mind. I mean, if you're listening to me and you're just accepting what I'm telling you uncritically in, in, in any aspect of life, I would seriously question your good judgment and sanity. And if you think that my life, which is a dumpster fire, um, I will be the first to admit that. If you think that my life is a template to be followed, I would, I, I mean, I, I would ask, I would, I would seriously urge you to be institutionalized in a mental hospital. It's, it's that bad. It's what you're, what you're telling me is that you think someone like me is worthy of following, and I'm not. I am in no way a good person or, um, uh, someone worthy of emulating. So please, you know, abandon that notion. But I do understand what it's like to be terrified of losing what you have. I, I know what it's like to be in a situation where you're so scared of taking a risk and taking a leap that you don't do it and you never do it. And, and you just want to extend out the pleasures that you're enjoying right now and enjoy them to the fullest. Here's the thing. Around the world, we have allowed ourselves to succumb to a state of fear. And that fear has paralyzed us. It's crippled us. Now, in some parts of the Western world, I'm very gratified and happy to see that there is a significant reaction brewing. Um, in the U.S., major protests have taken place against the lockdowns. Not the, you know, mostly peaceful protests. <laughs> mostly peaceful protests. Uh, that the clown news networks likes to report. Uh, there was a hilarious uh, situation um, where the clown from CNN who said that nonsense, uh, Sam Velshi, I think it was, uh, he was shot in the knee by, um, by police forces because he was running away from some riot. Yeah, I, I, somebody popped him with a, a rubber bullet and hit him in the knee. And he fell to the ground screaming. And I mean, uh, you know, if it, had, if it had happened to anybody else, I would feel sorry for him. But this guy is, he is, he is the enemy. Okay. He is the enemy of all that is good, beautiful, and true. So as far as I'm concerned, he deserved it. Um, I pray and hope that he uh, recovers and that he understands that he needs to change his ways. I hope that he repents. Uh, but it was hilarious when I heard that story because this guy symbolizes everything that is wrong with the lying media and he, he you know he got shot in the he got he got um, shot in the knee you know completely fine afterwards but it's just symbolize he is he is a symbol of everything that is wrong with that system that that spreads lies and misinformation and nonsense and fear constantly um, we are trapped in a bubble of fear porn almost we are we are so afraid of everything that comes at us, when in reality, we need to understand that the things to fear are not really viruses. They're not really microorganisms. I mean, yes, we can be afraid of those, and we should be afraid of those. But that's not really what's going to kill us. It's not really what's going to doom us. It's not really what's going to destroy us. What's going to destroy us 
is our insistence on shutting out and shutting us, ourselves away from all the things that are good, beautiful, and true. The moment you point your life towards the things that are good, beautiful, and true, the moment that you try to live your life according to the teachings of wisdom, and again, when I talk about wisdom, I am talking about a very specific kind of wisdom. I am talking about the Christian path of wisdom. I am talking about the Stoic path of acceptance and wisdom. I am talking about these philosophies and these uh, faith-based ideas that will guide you back to what is true. Once you start doing that, then you realize that the fears of this temporal world really are just that, they're temporal. They're not important in the grand scheme of things. What India has succumbed to, what the US was in danger of succumbing to, and it still is in some ways, what Britain has completely given into, what Australia, the state of Victoria has given into, is a kind of mass psychosis, a, a terror of uh, death. And I understand that fear. I understand why people are afraid of dying. They're, they're terrified of losing what they have in this world. But then you have to come back to Jesus' teachings. You have to go back to what the God-man said. The God-man very clearly said, he who, uh, he who, well, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm butchering the scriptures very horribly, so my Christian brothers, please excuse me for this. Um, truly, I tell you, uh, he who seeks to keep his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will, will earn everlasting glory in the kingdom of heaven, earn everlasting life. Again, I, I'm massacring the scriptures, but you can go look up um, the, the relevant passages in, uh, in the book of Matthew. They're all there. Uh, it's uh, sometime after the Beatitudes. It's all in there. And the thing to understand is, if you try to hoard up treasures for yourself in this life, what are you saving it for? What are you doing? If you're afraid of dying and not leaving, not, not getting enough stuff in this life, are you really going to be happy? No. What matters is not what you acquire in this life. It's what you pass on to the next generation. It's what you do for your fellow man, for your tribe, for your neighbors, for your people. If you've done nothing of any consequence for those people, then your life has been a waste. I'm sorry to tell you, but that's the truth. I mean... I'm saying that as someone who doesn't really have a people or a tribe, and that's you know my great loss. It's it's my, it, it is it is going to be one of the most profound uh, regrets of my life that I don't have this. Um, and I've talked about this in in other podcasts. You can go back and listen to, uh, particularly a podcast called Return to Tribe, in which I talk about this sense of loss and what it means. But if you don't have that, what are you living for? If, on the other hand, you have children, you have loved ones, you have people who you care about and who depend on you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You may well die in pain and misery. You may well, you know, suffer a, a horrible choking death. Okay. As a Christian, I can tell you the... Death that we suffer is as nothing compared to 
the God-man who died on the cross. I'm not going to go too deeply into this, this, this aspect of things because most Christians understand it already. But if you want to understand what true horror is, go look up what happens in a Roman crucifixion. Nabil Qureshi uh, and uh, others have, have explained this beautifully. Dr. David Wood as well uh, has explained this brilliantly. But a Roman crucifixion involved flaying somebody with uh, basically a, something like a cat of nine tails, uh, a whip with leather cords coming out of it. And at the end of some of those leather cords would be uh, a fragment of bone or uh, a sharp piece of metal. But at the end, of, but other tendrils of this whip would have a metal ball bearing on it, on, on them. They would lash people with this whip to cause, to, to rip strips of their skin off of their backs so that people were literally flayed alive with this whip. But the ball bearings would cause vasodilation, which is to say when they, when they struck flesh, they would cause the blood vessels to expand and would weaken the structural integrity of the blood vessels and the skin. It was not uncommon for convicted criminals who were convicted of Roman crucifixion to see, to, to be hanging on the cross with their entrails hanging out of their stomachs because their, the abdominal walls had become so weakened that they could no longer hold in their guts and the skin had been ripped off. So what would happen is that their guts would literally spill out while they were crucified. Um, if you look at what a crucifixion involved, you are, you would be hung with uh, steel or with, uh, with metal rods driven through your wrists, not through your hands. This is a misconception. There is no way that the hands could support the weight of the body. The, the nail had to be driven in through, um, uh, between the two small bone, the, the two long bones that meet, uh, all of the bones of the hand at the wrist. So there's a, there's a nerve cluster in there. That metal spike would be driven straight in through that and into the wood. So you're, I mean, imagine that you have both, uh, you, you have nerves shredded and torn across your entire back. Um, you're bleeding profusely. You're suffering tremendous amounts of shock and blood loss. Your, your hands are nailed to wooden beams and they're above your head. You're hanging down. Your entire weight of your body is pulling you down and is working those nails deeper and deeper into your nerve clusters in, in your wrists. To breathe, which you're going to want to do, because in that position, um, your diaphragm is unable to, to, to work and to stretch out, um, and your lungs are compressed, so there's no air coming into your body. You have to pull yourself up using the muscles on your arms. You have to pull yourself up, again, pulling against those muscles and those nerves which have been impaled by a metal spike and remember, at this point in time, you're rubbing a back that is raw and shredded with skin peeled off and blood pouring down your back up a, uh, an unpolished wooden surface. So you're getting splinters driven into your back as you're doing this. And you're bleeding the entire time and you're suffocating the entire time. This is what a crucifixion involves. This is why it was considered one of the most horrific punishments of the ancient world. It was considered, it is, I mean, overall, one of probably the three worst ways that a man can die. 
the, the absolute worst has got to be burning at the stake. But the second or third worst is probably crucifixion. I mean, impalement is the only one that comes to mind. You know, impalement without grease is about the only one that comes to mind, which is worse um, and more horrific. And crucifixion actually lasted longer. It was not uncommon if criminals were crucified through their hands and their feet for them to last several days on the cross and die from dehydration and thirst. Um, it was also not uncommon for legionaries who were watching these men dying to finish the execution because if, if they somehow failed to carry out their duty and the convicted criminal did not die um, but survived, the legionary would be uh, guilty of dereliction of duty and would himself be executed. So he would come along, these legionaries would come along with a, a club and if they saw that these, these men were still alive, they would come and break the bones uh, of the leg. So they would smash in people's kneecaps and smash their shin bones apart so that they could, these people could no longer use their legs to push themselves up in order to, to get a fresh breath of air. Um, and therefore the people involved would die through asphyxiation, through suffocation. This is what our Lord endured for us. Not, you know, all of mankind. That's too big, too, 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 too grand a concept for us to grasp. He endured this for you. For you. He went through this pain, this horror, this hell for you. To save you. That is sacrifice. That is is priceless. And you're telling me you're worried about a bug? A virus? Yeah, it's a horrible disease. Yeah, it's scary. But we have treatment options available for it now. We have a pretty good idea of how it works. We know, again, ignore what the hornalists are telling you, we know that a combination of drugs is capable of greatly reducing the lethality and severity of this disease. We have a pretty good idea from a number of doctors all around the world. Again, ignore all the propaganda about um, the lack of randomized double-blind trials, etc., etc. There are doctors around the world right now who are administering hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine sulfate, technically, to their patients. Uh, it's a medicine called Plaquil, I think. Um, that's the... Um, OTC name for it. They're administering a combination of HCQ, azithromycin, which is an antibiotic, uh, zinc, and vitamin C. And this is proving effective. It has proven effective repeatedly. So we know that there is a way to fight it. The God Emperor is being treated with remdesivir, which is an antiretroviral drug, um, which uh, I don't quite agree with the people who go really far into conspiracy theory stuff and say that this means that this, uh, this, this automatically means that the, the COVID-19 genetic structure was mixed in with the AIDS virus. No, no, that's not what it means. Remdesivir simply reduces the ability of a virus to replicate and to, um, it, it, it inhibits the transmission of, um, the, the viral package into cells. Uh, it stops the ability of a virus to do what is called um, to, to lyse, L-Y-S-E. Uh, and what that means is that 
um, because viruses cannot reproduce on their own. Okay, so what they do is they they invade a host cell, they they latch onto a host cell, and um, that's where the the on the on the coronavirus structure that's where the spike protein comes in. So the spike protein is uh, a key that tries to unlock a cell wall, and once it unlocks that wall, it injects its RNA package into the cell, and the the command from the virus is to the to the infected cell is to produce lots and lots of copies of that RNA package, in other words, lots and lots of copies of the virus before self-destructing. That is the lice process. I don't know what the plural or verb is, but the adverb is. But um, yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. So you know, more of this virus spreads out. Now, don't live your life afraid that this will kill you because it won't. The statistics make that very clear. It's not going to kill you. There are lots of other things that will kill you, including social isolation, including uh, depression, including lack of good hygiene, including uh, failing to do anything good with your life. All of these things will kill you. In the end, life itself will kill you. But don't look at it in terms of, um, I have to live my life in fear. No, don't look at it like that. Look at it in terms of, I have been given a gift, and it is an incredible gift. I have been given the gift of freedom. I have been given the gift of free will. I have been given the right and the obligation to look at the evidence and to make up my own mind. That is priceless. You have a gift from your Creator which is beyond value, beyond measure. So use it. Use it for the reason it was given to you, to bring yourself back to your Creator and to help you find your way back to Him so that you can return to that state which He always intended for you to be in, free. He wanted you to have free will. Who are you to reject that gift? Who are you to reject it and say, no, I will be controlled by others? We are already seeing around the world a resurgence in a rediscovery of this freedom. There have been riots in Israel, um, even today. Uh, one of my readers, one of my listeners, is an Israeli Jew. And uh, he's, I mean, the male brain is, uh, is he's a great dude. Uh, I've done a podcast with him. You can go uh, listen to it. Um, it's from some time back. And uh, he's a lot of fun to talk to. I really like the guy. Um, Dawn Pine is a is a tremendous character, and he's he was uh, he's been telling me um, about the situation in Israel, and he's like, you know what, the government can do what it likes. Um, I'm not going to stop it from letting me live my life the way I want to. Now you can agree with his lifestyle, you can disagree with it. I'm not going to pass judgment on it. It's his life. Let him live it as he pleases. But that's the right attitude. He's going to enjoy being with the you know dating the women that he cares about he's going to enjoy it being around his family members good for him that's his freedom that's what i like about it look at people in the u.s several of my listeners live in red states uh, they understand what it means to be free because they can go for a drive they can go to a restaurant they can hang out in bars and nobody's going to stop them they're not afraid of this virus because there's nothing really for them to be afraid of. And if there is something for them to be afraid of, they just take extra precautions. That's good. That's right. If you go to Russia, I've spent a lot of time in Russia. I've spent a lot of time among Russians. 
in Moscow right now, it's completely normal. I mean, it's been normal since they opened up Moscow, oh, what, back in, I think it was June, uh, mid to late June. You could, if you were in Moscow during that time, you could have enjoyed a full summer. And it would have, it was a beautiful summer. It was really wonderful. It was enjoyable. It was fun. It was fantastic. Uh, if you go to 500 kilometers south of Moscow to a small city, small, quote unquote, uh, it's got about a million people in it, so it's not that small. A city called uh, Voronezh, uh, south of Moscow. Beautiful city, beautiful architecture, infrastructure, wonderful place to be. Lots of beautiful Russian girls walking around in very nice dresses. Um, if anything, Voronezh is a nicer place to be than Moscow for, you know, visually speaking, for, for Russian ladies. Uh, I know, I've been there twice. Um, completely normal, basically. You could go even further south than that to a place called uh, Tuapse, uh, or to, um, damn it, what's it called? Uh, Krasnodar. You could go down south to the Krasnodar region, uh, which is really nice and warm. You know, it's uh, not too far away from the Black Sea. You could go to Sochi and actually be on the Black Sea itself. Fantastic weather, wonderful place to be. Nobody gives a crack about the virus because they know that it's all overblown. They know that it's, uh, everybody's trying to scare everyone into compliance. It's not that big a deal. Even right now, with infections on the rise, the Muscovites aren't panicking. They're basically saying, well, the mayor of Moscow is telling 30% of the uh, public or private sector employees to work from home. Okay, fine, we'll just deal with it. But they're not shutting down again. They're not overreacting. And that's the approach to take to this virus. Do not overreact. Do not live in fear. Look at the numbers. Look at the statistics. Look at the data. And understand that you are almost certainly going to get through this just fine. Do not give in to the fear or the paranoia. Let yourself live while you have the time. Let yourself love. Let yourself be free to enjoy the things you want to enjoy. Don't take unnecessary risks. There are some risks which are really stupid, like licking a toilet um, where there was a coronavirus infection. Whoever that kid was that did it, I hope he's learned his lesson. He was a dumbass. But don't let yourself live in fear of what will not kill you. Okay? So, um, it's coming up on the hour mark. That is my message for today, uh, for this podcast. Don't be afraid. Don't consign yourself to living in fear. Live while you have the chance because all you have is this life to ensure that you are ready for the next stage because that's what we Christians believe. This is just the first stage. This is the first level. Once we pass through this, we get to the next level and the boss, the, the boss battles in the next one are going to be even harder. We are being prepared and we are being tested for something much bigger than us, brothers. So be ready for it. That is it for this week's episode of Didactic Mind. Uh, many thanks, as always, for listening in. Many thanks for your continued patronage and support. Stop by the blog. Um, there will be some changes coming very soon. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe this podcast. Um, I will also have some exciting new ventures to announce with my friend Kyle Trouble um, in the coming days. And uh, we will see you all uh, on the other side of those. So, uh, this has been Didactic Mind, episode 49. 
I am Didact, signing off.